Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We'll be looking at verses 45 through 51 this morning. Again, this is awkward. I miss you guys. I want to see you in person. And I look forward to gathering again and being able to celebrate a full worship service, uh, a true worship service, a gathering of the saints where we can enjoy the sacraments, where we can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God and to one another, where we can encourage one another in fellowship. Um, But in the meantime, we do recognize this as true worship, that we can genuinely gather before God in our homes and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so we look forward to doing that now, even though we're separated from one another. In the spring of 1997, I went to see a movie by myself. Uh, I know it sounds pathetic. Uh, The experience was so awkward that I have never done it. I have never done it again. Uh, I had just been hired by Kinko's. Remember that old copy center? Um, They sent me up to Walnut Creek for a few days of training. And I, I didn't know anyone there. And since the other trainees were all from the area... Uh, they just went back to their homes afterwards. Um, and I was there for a few evenings. So that first night, I I decided to go out and find some food, went to dinner. And then on a bit of a whim, I walked down to the theater to see what was playing. Um, this was before Siri, before Google. So you can imagine not being able to just look it up. I had to go, de- go there and see. And honestly, I, I remember pain going into the movie and just about nothing else from that time. I, I, I knew, I recalled that the main actor was John Cusack. And so I Googled this morning, I looked up um, John Cusack in movies from 1997, and I discovered that it was gross point blank. Still, doesn't ring a bell at all. I have no idea what that movie was about. I'm not recommending it to you. I'm sure it's it's uh, it's got things in it that I... That I shouldn't have seen or or wouldn't recommend you seeing. But I I think I've blocked that whole experience out because of how uncomfortable it was to be in a movie theater by myself. Uh, I remember being one of the first times in my life where I really felt alone. Uh, Apparently, I don't do well in isolation. I've gotten better since then, but but I still crave interaction. I, I don't like being alone. Have you ever felt alone? I don't mean socially distant. I mean isolated from everyone. Maybe that sounds like a good thing to some of you. Maybe you're the kind of person who enjoys going to the movies by yourself. And I can understand the value of getting away and uh, wanting to kind of shut out the noise of the world and just be by yourself. Uh, But really, we weren't created for isolation. Uh, we long for genuine fellowship and belong to, we want to be in, a part of a community that, that knows us, that loves us, that supports us. And this is true because we've been created in the image of a triune God who always enjoyed perfect fellowship within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's one thing to be physically isolated uh, from everyone. But it's even more significant to think about isolation on a spiritual level. So Jesus, 
as he hung on the cross, he certainly suffered physically. Uh, But the spiritual reality of his separation from the Father was much worse than the physical reality. So that's what we'll be focusing on this morning. So before we read the passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that once again we can open your word and hear from you. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear, to soften our hearts to respond in obedience to this truth. And Lord, help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, we want to honor you in the way we sit under your word. And so speak to us. Enable us to listen and to respond. For your glory we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So read with me Matthew chapter 27 beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, the first thing I want us to consider is just in verse 45, and it's the darkness of the cross. The crucifixion for many people lasted days, multiple days. Uh, Jesus' crucifixion lasted roughly six hours. We get that from combining Mark 15, 25, which tells us that the crucifixion began at the third hour, which would be 9 a.m. And then from Matthew, we see that the darkness here in verse 45 began at the sixth hour which would be noon, 12 p.m. Then according to verse 46, Jesus died about the ninth hour, roughly within the time frame of 3 p.m. And so this would have allowed three hours for his burial before sunset when the Sabbath officially began. We do not know the extent of this darkness. Uh, Was it merely over the land of Judea or did it extend throughout the earth? Uh, nor do we know for certain if this was a naturally occurring phenomena. Some have suggested that maybe it was a heavy dust storm or cloud coverage. Um, I, I think those are unlikely suggestions. I think this was a supernatural um, occurrence, but I do believe it was limited to Judea in scope. And I, I believe that because it, it seems to suggest that God was doing something significant to show the spiritual darkness represented by the death of his son, there within the promised land. And so it makes sense that it was a limited scope in terms of it, uh, of the extent of that darkness. Um, but I do believe it was, some, it was a supernatural occurrence. Really, more significant than how it happened is, is 
the symbolism of darkness. It represents the judgment of God. It would recall the darkness that fell upon the land of Egypt for three days. Uh, You can read about that in Exodus 10. And so prior to Israel's escape at the first Passover, there was that experience of of three days of darkness. There's another parallel in Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It speaks of God promising midday darkness, supernatural darkness, so that even their celebrations would be turned into mourning and lamentation. And so that's a, a thought here. At the cross, an appropriate response is lamentation. Uh, there's a proper pr- place for lamentation in worship today. Uh, and it's unfortunately sorely underserved in most churches. Right, Psalm 22 seems to have been on the mind of Christ as he was nearing his final breath. Uh, that psalm can be broken down into two parts. You have lamentation in the first half, and then you have thanksgiving in the second half. And it's, pro- it's, it's, it's a proper practice uh, to have in corporate worship, to practice both lamentation and thanksgiving. Uh, thanksgiving doesn't cancel out lamentation. In fact, lamentation anticipates thanksgiving. So think about that in the context of the cross, what finally put an end to the darkness. What was it that, that removed the darkness? You might expect that the light would have returned to the land at the resurrection. But in fact, the light returns immediately after Christ's death. The darkness ended when Jesus defeated death on the cross in his death. And so in this sense, the cross of Christ is not only for sober reflection and mourning. It's not just for us to lament, but it also brings hope that light will shine again soon. And so this hopeful sign comes at the peak of the world's most tragic loss. Doesn't that often exemplify how grace works in our lives? In the midst of all this tragedy and despair that's expressed in the world right now, God is renewing a sense of spiritual hope. There are signs of spiritual life where it appeared to be only a valley of dry bones. Let us continue to look to God during this time. Let us call upon him to provide hope even as we continue to endure a season of darkness. Well, ultimately that, that darkness was felt most keenly by Jesus himself as he experienced the isolation of the cross. That's described in verses 46 through 49. The situation looked utterly hopeless. Above him hung a sign that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It reminded everyone of the mockery that Jesus endured at the hands of the Romans and Jews, which we looked at last week. Below him, the words of scoffers are mixed with the sounds of a few sobbing women. He was unrecognizable as he hung upon the cross. His face was swollen from the beating of countless Roman soldiers. Uh, His back and his legs would would have still likely been dripping blood from the scourging that he had endured just hours earlier. And as a pool of blood, sweat, and tears begins to gather beneath him for the first time, even Jesus sounds unsure of the situation. He cries out, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. 
which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some were confused at this point. They were thinking that he was calling Elijah to rescue him. But it's apparent to everyone that Jesus was alone, that that he was not going to be rescued. And so for the moment, it appears that evil had won. Uh, Jesus appeared defeated. It was just as the scoffers had said, he couldn't save himself. Everyone had abandoned Jesus, including his father. And so of the final sayings of Jesus, there's seven final sayings. This one surely is the hardest to comprehend. Although we know it fulfills Psalm 22 verse 1, we still struggle to understand how the God-man could be separated from God in any way. It's a mystery. And yeah, I like what John White says. He says, if I were coldly logical, I could point out that Jesus knew the answer to his agonized cry. He knew why. He had known during his earthly ministry. He had known with awful clarity in the Mount of Olives. His question is not a plea for intellectual understanding, but an expression of agony that overwhelmed understanding. Do you see that? It's not that he didn't understand that he lost comprehension of what was taking place on the cross. It's that his agony became so great that it overwhelmed understanding. And so when he said, my God, it was actually something unique. Um, he, there's one other place, I think, where he, said, where he uses the phrase, my God, where he addresses God in that way. Usually he says, my father. So that, that in itself is a reflection of this sense of abandonment. His feelings indeed matched the reality. The father had turned his face away from the son. And so Jesus experienced genuine anguish at that moment. However, notice at the same time that he's actually calling upon God as if he trusts that he can hear him. Jesus knows that God is listening to him. He doesn't cry out, God, if you're there, as uh, you know, we, we oftentimes hear that kind of response in movies or uh, from unbelievers. Right? He's not crying out like that. He's not, uh, he, he's not allowing his anguish to turn into threats against God. He doesn't shout anything hateful toward the sky. No, Jesus is trusting God rather than cursing him for the cross. And so think about it. If Christ had lost all faith at this point, he wouldn't have said anything, right? His his declaration of anguish reveals his ongoing trust in God's redemptive mission. While Christ's death was utterly unique, we often struggle with a sense of isolation as well. We have grown comfortable using that language these past few weeks, but in reality, our experience of isolation can be a lot worse than mere social distancing inconveniences, right? Uh, For some, it it develops into genuine depression uh, or even panic. In that despair, we might begin to question God's goodness and faithfulness. John White adds, he says, while none of us will ever face what our Lord faced, we may find ourselves, even though we too know the answer to our own question, 
still crying. Why? We cry because our natures protest what is happening to us. We understand, yet we do not understand. Just as a non-swimmer understands that his body is lighter than water until he is thrown into a lake. So we struggle in desperation while the waters swirl around our souls and the knowledge we possess seems powerless to prevent us from drowning. Right, so even though, even in that state, even in a place where we are calling out and crying out why, and we are confused and in despair and desperation, even then our struggle is evidence that there's a seed of faith implanted deep within. The cry is a sign that faith remains, that, that even though it's, it's hanging by a thread, it is still true, it is still real, it is still present, and the Spirit is still working in and through that to strengthen it. At the end of this age, we'll be able to look back upon our darkest days, and I think we will be in full agreement with Paul, who wrote to the Corinthian church, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light momentary affliction will become an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The truth is God never leaves his covenant children. When it comes to spiritual isolation, what believers mistakenly feel, Jesus truly experienced. It is because of the fact that Jesus was abandoned by the Father that we can be assured we are always kept in the palm of his hand. God will never leave us nor forsake us. It only makes sense when we understand the atonement of the cross. Jesus lets out one final cry of anguish. Probably it is finished is what he's crying out according to John 19.30. That's the, the final cry Jesus makes. So it would indicate that Christ has completed the work of redemption. He's accomplished what he came to do. And then he yields up his spirit. One of the glorious consequences of Christ's death on the cross was the splitting into of the temple curtain. Not only did it split, but the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It's an indication of, of an act of God. The curtain was, this was the curtain that separated the the Holy of Holies, the most inner part of the temple from the outer chamber where priests would have gone in to serve daily. The the curtain of separation though from the Holy of Holies, uh, the Holy of Holies was a place that, that only the high priest could enter and he could only enter that once a year on the day of atonement. So what we see here by Christ's death is that it represents, Christ represents the final the true Passover lamb. He entered into the Holy of Holies once for all, not with the blood of goats and bulls, not with the, the, the blood of, of goats and, and calves, but by his, his own blood, securing our eternal redemption. With the, with the death of Christ, everyone has access to God through faith in Christ. 
And we now have the assurance that Christ appears in the presence of God on our behalf. Read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Because of sin, the father had to turn his back on his son. He had to look away as he poured out the fullness of his wrath upon him. He could not respond to his son's cries. He could not comfort him in the midst of his deepest and darkest hour. Christ was isolated. He was all alone. He was separated. And on the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of the wrath of God in your place if you place your faith in him. Jesus suffered the pains of hell as he hung upon the cross. And the pains of hell include being separated from the love of God for all eternity. That's what the pains of hell uh, represent, right? And he, Jesus experienced that for a time. He experienced the unmitigated wrath of God. It's the punishment that we deserved. But Jesus took that punishment in our place. This is why Jesus became man. That he took on flesh to ransom us. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God turned the shame of the cross into a display of his glory while turning the glory of man into open shame. Though Jesus experienced darkness and isolation on the cross, it was the only path forward to make atonement for sins. Christ was not defeated on the cross, but he was triumphant. He fully accomplished the primary task that he was born to do. And so Jesus was separated from his Father for a time so that we who believe in him might be adopted as sons for all eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this important and precious reminder to us. Lord, the cross is a word of hope. Yes, it's a, a word of lamentation. It's a, we mourn because we know that it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Lord, Jesus Christ died in our place. He bore your unmitigated wrath so that we might know peace. So we, we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for giving us your spirit that would open our eyes to see the, the beauty of Christ, to see the, the glory of his death on the cross, and to respond in repentance and faith. And Lord, as we reflect upon that throughout this day and throughout this week, may we continue to be moved to, to expressions of, of joy, expressions of lament, expressions of gratitude. May we fall to our knees in prayer. May we cry out to you. And may we point others to the Savior. And Lord, as we look forward to the, to the uh, resurrection that's described as happening three days later, 
but we'll look at that next week. Lord, we we want to be filled with that kind of, of hope and longing once again for Christ's return, for his appearing, where he brings us all the way home, ushering us into an eternity where we are without shame, where we're without pain, without tears, without anxious worry, without fear, because we're in your presence, never to fall away. May you be glorified. In Christ's name we ask it.